Welcome back to the Therapy for Real Life podcast. This is not therapy, this is real life. I'm your host, Anna Lindbergh Cedar, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Allison Deneen, the artist and author behind the new book, Notes from Your Therapist, and also the author behind the Instagram account, Notes from Your Therapist. Allison talks about themes of creativity, self-care, relationships, and trauma recovery as she shares her own process of overcoming shame and also finding community in online spaces. Listen all the way through our conversation to talk about challenging tensions of using online spaces while balancing the self-harm that can come from online media. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. Allison, I would love for you to tell listeners about the origin story of this book and who, who were you writing to when you wrote it? So my book was the result of, it was kind of an accident, which was the result of me starting an Instagram account. Um, When I was starting my private practice as a therapist, and um, this was a time when there weren't a lot of therapists on Instagram. And I really didn't know the possibilities of Instagram either. I was kind of using it as a way to let people who literally live nearby know what kind of person that I am so that they could come to see me as a therapist. And what I started to do was, um, you know, Instagram is super exciting because you can reach people who are interested in the same things that you are. And I started to write about more specifically the things that I love talking about um, that are my favorite subjects in therapy as a therapist. And Instagram gives you, if you're a creative person, this incredible feedback because you can very quickly know what you're showing, what you're writing about, what you're talking about that people really respond to. Mm -hmm. So it didn't take long for me um, here I am just kind of talking about my favorite subject, which basically boils down to emotions Mm -hmm. and also relationships. And it was incredible because I just started to be able to see which there were like a handful of themes very quickly that I would talk about or write about. And there would, people would overwhelmingly like that. And it was really easy. I don't know how to describe that. It was a really easy process because it was like people were just kind of waiting. I felt like people were just waiting for a chance to receive this kind of information. Well, I want to pause long enough to give listeners who maybe haven't had a chance to check out your Instagram profile, just a little hint of what the book helps you know you're looking at, but for listeners, I would describe it kind of like in the Bay Area. Uh, uh, we'd have like, I'm thinking of like the local organic grocery store that would have the cork board 
wall of looking for a renter, uh, you know, I need a babysitter, but then wedged in there are these torn out pieces of paper that Allison has written on with little notes from your therapist. So Instagram is such a visual medium. That part is important. You've written, you know, they're about the length of a tweet, but uh, a little more wise than you would ex maybe go looking for on social media. But when I saw your book, I realized I had heard your name before because you were included in the New York Times article about what's the title, Poets, Therapists oh, are new poets on Instagram or something like that. And so there's something that I hear you describing that is um, um, a little bit of is missing until you see the visual part of the, the messages that you're sharing. One question I have for you is you talked in the book about the day that you shared the first message on Instagram and then here you have now this book, a collection of messages. I'm wondering if you were surprised to see the themes come out in your notes from your therapist or were they very intentional? Did you have a framework that you were following? Absolutely unplanned and kind of the magic of being a creative person that I love. So um, yeah, it was, I the very first no, I wasn't even sure whether, you know, I should be doing this as a therapist because you probably remember that historically therapists are supposed to be very impersonal. And um, I was actually there as a writer as well. So I've been writing my whole life and kind of a storyteller. And I thought, I'm a person who's a therapist, but I'm just going to talk about my life. I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about through my own story. And for anyone that's useful for, then that's great. But I'm not here as a therapist to sort of, you know, tell people what to do and how to live their lives. Not that therapists do that necessarily, but that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I started writing a little bit about, um, some general, it was maybe more some sort of psychoeducational stuff about emotions, relationships. And what would happen is that I'd, I'd randomly write something. So this is where it's the perfect for me. Instagram dovetails perfectly for me with art, my writing and the field of therapy. And so I would wake up in the morning, which is my quiet time to be alone. And I'm very energized in the morning and reading and writing. And I would have something on my mind every morning. When I wake up, I have something on my mind that I'm sort of an idea I'm turning over or whatever's happening in my life. And I would try to sort of distill that idea into a message. So it turned out to be my mornings are just kind of like, trying to distill an idea or a thought or just a feeling that I'm having or um, an experience I know a lot of people um, wrestle with or struggle with and distill it down into like a sentence or two, which is what I tried to do in the beginning, like make it really short. Mm -hmm. And I quickly learned from Instagram, you know, Instagram is full to the brim of memes and short, easy information, people telling, you know, 
other people what to do and instructions and advice and things like that. And I just felt like, well, what I noticed is that people responded when I talked more from my own experience instead of with a, you do this or you might try this. I, I shifted pretty quickly into saying like, I struggle with this or um, in my experience, I'm still working on this. And people, there's like a freedom that comes to the um, followers because I'm not telling anyone what to do. They can decide whether that's relevant to them or not. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so what would happen? It was like really just kind of pure chance and the magic of writing what's on my mind. And in doing that, I started to figure out like once or twice, I'd have these totally unexpected huge number of people liking a note and I would like I would try to distill like what was that one about and at first I thought oh you know they always say on social media it's got to be short people have short attention spans and I just found that that was not true because mm -hmm. one day I decided to write a really I had a long note I just couldn't distill it down to something short and punchy and that note got like by far the most likes I'd ever gotten. Mm. And I was like, what's going on here? And I started to realize people actually want real information. They want to know more about emotion skills, relationship skills. And so that was, you know, like one of the first things that helped me sort of, um, hone what I wanted to talk about. Cause then I was like, well, I'm happy to talk about this that people need to know. Mm -hmm. So you said before you were kind of curious about like some of those key things. And I think by far <laughs> the one that people respond to the most is, you mean I'm not responsible for other people's emotions. Mm. Other people are allowed to have painful emotions and by extension, I'm allowed to have painful emotions. Mm -hmm. Those were huge. And I think because we grow up in a culture that teaches us and shows us and models all, all kinds of ways of numbing out our emotions and distracting ourselves from our difficult emotions, it's like a brand new concept when people say like, oh, wait, I'm it's okay. I'm supposed to know when I'm sad. I'm yeah. supposed to know when someone I love is angry. You're describing a kind of emotional fitness that Instagram perhaps is, you know, more equipped to show us physical fitness and how to have this technique and not hurt your back. We have a visual version of that. But what I hear you describing is making emotions visible and accessible. And oh, you mean there's no such thing as a right or wrong emotion? They are just part of the survival reflex and they convey information about our needs. Oh, right. cool. Cool. Exactly. Yes. And the other category was, and this is another one that sort of, um, it's very touching to me um, because I think a lot of people have mis a mistaken idea about this one as well, which is that I'm allowed to need other people in my life. So the first time I wrote something about, um, you hate when it started out with like, you hate feeling needy, but 
that's just basically the way your brain is wired to drive you towards needing other human beings. It's a biological, um, physiological requirement. You know, it's an evolutionary strategy of human beings to belong and to need other people when you're um, overwhelmed or stressed. And we have such a culture of, uh, you know, extreme individual. Um, individuality, sort of an overvaluing of independence. And, you know, I love independence, but they leave the other, I love autonomy and independence, but, you know, what gets left out of that is we also deeply need connection with other human beings. And um, so that was maybe the other most powerful one is how many people have been dealing with lifelong shame because mm -hmm they feel like they're not supposed to need help when they're struggling yeah. or that there's something wrong with them. I appreciate how you hold that balance in your messaging between self-care and relationship care. And those are intertwined and related. Well, I think the listeners would really appreciate hearing some examples. Would you mind reading some of the messages themselves, some of the notes from your therapist, and maybe even, you know, give a little pause after to give folks a chance to think about it. You said they're so short, but I find a lot of them are, are like little mini meditations. You have to kind of think about it, see if you agree or not, or noticing kind of the different, you know, messaging in right. gaps. That sounds great. Well, I'm thinking about this one, which is another very popular topic, which is boundaries, sort of um, emotional boundaries, relational boundaries. Um, so this one says, when I set boundaries around how I'll be treated and someone doesn't like it, I have to remind myself that it's okay for me to let people not like things. you know, with sort of, we have a, we have difficulty setting boundaries a lot because we think people are supposed to like and feel good about things. And when we accept that people are allowed to be disappointed or sad about things, it, you know, that sort of insight can make it a little easier to set boundaries sometimes. Let's hear another one. Okay. So, um, why did I have to act like nothing that ever happened hurt me? And I've talked, you know, with countless clients over the years who um, usually bring up the feeling that they were supposed to act like nothing hurt them. There was supposed to be this facade of being okay resilient with whatever happened in their lives. So it's partly having to act like you're okay all the time, which is, um, you know, causing people a lot of distress right now, I think, in their lives. Mm -hmm. Let's hear a couple more. Okay. Um, this was that one, I think, that surprised me, maybe the first one about evolution, because I was a bio major in college first. So I'm very interested in science as well as in neuroscience and evolution. And so this one goes, 
The thing is, the human brain is extremely evolved for connection and relationship. You were never supposed to learn to be alone with pain and stress. Needing emotional safety and support isn't something wrong with you. It's the sign of something deeply right with you. Um, yeah, so I guess maybe one more is um, when I don't pay attention to my feelings, I tend to put up with situations and people longer than I should. Allison, I'm noticing there's a gentle um, DBT, we'd call this a dialectic, right? Two opposingly, you know, seemingly opposite truths, but something a little bit countercultural about the messages that you're posting. You're, you're, you're willing to go first and conquer shame and share some of these self-disclosures and then people are really responding to them and you're noticing a lot of people are seeing in a really visual way that a lot of people relate to feeling this way. And so there's um, something kind of building and making that resistance to that um, emotional numbing culture. You're creating a little pocket of community and connection. I hear that's one of the benefits on the platform that you're using. Oh, that's so interesting. Yes. And I really, I really resonate with that because that reminds me of um, a talk I heard by a therapist named Bonnie, Bonnie Badenoch. And she talks about interpersonal um, neuroscience and just how, how designed we are for um, co-regulation when we're mm -hmm. distressed and when we're highly you know, distressed, highly stressed, it helps us so much to just be in the presence of someone who's very calm and can sit with what you're feeling. And then that person acts as a sort of regulator for our bodies, you know, mirror neurons, all this stuff is like really exciting. And I sort of feel like I stumbled into that in a way that I can show people how by doing rather than you know, instructing people on what to do. I just show them basically how I do it, how I do life and struggle. And they can absorb that if that, you know, is useful to them. Help me with this other dialectical tension we're here we're hearing kind of the warm and fuzzy uses of social media as an art tool as an engagement tools a format for poetry and connection community meanwhile it's a space that is you know where a lot of addiction and sales coexist you know the hashtags and you know pictures of your family and puppies and kittens are co-mingled with, um, you know, what Jenny O'Dell calls the attention economy, right? And trying to get likes and um, some would argue the more, the less time on social media, the better you're doing at harm reduction in, in general. And you're holding that dialectical space right there, right? Right where people live you know, and where people are spending their time. 
And I'm curious how you have thought about the pros and cons of using social media and uh, is it possible to be your, your authentic self in a social media space in a healthy way? Such an interesting question and something I, yes, I think about a lot. And I have to say my experience is relatively positive um, with social media. And especially at this time, it, it can definitely be helpful for people, you know, with regard to the pandemic and feelings of loneliness and disconnected. So here's the thing that I love that you brought up, which was, um, you know, for better or worse. And the way I see it is the whole experience actually has been a sort of like mini therapy for myself because what I'm very um, mindful of is that I need to pay attention to how I feel. And so what that means to me is I don't follow accounts that make me feel bad in my body. I pay a lot of attention to my sensitivity, how I feel. Um, if something makes me feel bad, I'm really, really good at minimizing the input from a lot of, you know, social media noise that's stressful to me. And mm -hmm. so I view it as an opportunity to, to practice my boundaries, actually, my personal boundaries on what stresses me and what I choose to give my attention to. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because... Um, as you were saying, you know, your attention can be hijacked all over the place. So it takes some practice to start to pay attention to, um, yeah, what's making you feel good and what's making you feel bad and um, be selective about what you follow. And for me, the idea of the numbers and the followers is ab absolutely not useful for me at all because I adamantly do not want you know hordes of people following me just to be just so that I have some kind of numbers what I actually want is people on my page who resonate with what I'm talking about and if that's 10 people or 100 people that is all I really am looking for is people who connect with what I'm saying. So it makes a lot of sense. It's a mindfulness practice that you do have to do. It's not going to happen by accident. You have to pause long enough to check in with yourself to see what it feels like to be in that space or any other space. Yeah, that's true. Well, it says it right in the title notes from you're a therapist, you are a therapist, um, and you have um, shared a little bit about your use of creative practices for your personal self-care. Is there anything else that you would share with listeners that you've learned about balancing your own boundaries or online, offline, other practices that you do? Because we know that the kind of emotional fitness and awareness that you're describing is a ongoing practice. It's like eating your vitamins and getting your exercise. You're never quite done with it. It's something that you have to stay 
attentive to? I'm curious how you do that in a holistic way. Mm, I love that question too, Anna. Um, yeah, I've noticed as well um, in my practice that because I really like to be there for people, that's sort of one of my, you know, things that I value and it's one of my um, skills, I guess. And there was a time when I prioritized that, like helping other people. And that's probably a result from, of the way that I grew up. Um, but what I've learned over the, you know, recent years was that I'm not very good at taking care of other people when I'm not taking care of myself first. And so what I've really, really um, discovered recently is that I have to be really, really good at self-care and put myself first. That's the only way I have the stamina to really be there in a way that I want to be for people that are really struggling or even for my close friends or my own family to be there in a completely, um, with all of myself, I guess, to show up as all of myself I need to really take good care of myself first. And it makes it so much, um, I don't know how to describe it. It just makes me feel more present and um, available to the people I care about. Mm -hmm. And so I, like my particular self-care regime is just so about me, I think, and probably my family would laugh about um, some of my practices are like really old, like I've had them my whole life that might be like journaling or one of them is I get up really early in the morning because I don't want anybody to bother me. I need to have my coffee and be alone and write and think and I love that. It's my favorite time of day. If I can have like some quiet time first thing in the morning, I can kind of deal with pretty much anything that comes later in the day. So I think my self-care, especially now I've been thinking about that with the pandemic happening, um, really kind of boils down to two categories. One is like downtime for me mm -hmm. and me alone. And the other one is like connect connection and um, you know, connection with other people. Mm -hmm. So I'm really pretty good, I have to say, at the downtime because. I don't really need a lot. I'm a person who actually needs frequency more than like some big vacation once a year. I actually get my sort of downtime as much as I can all through the day. It can be like the coffee in the morning or I just did a hard thing or had a hard conversation. So I'm going to like, you know, have some chocolate and sit by myself for five minutes. Allison, you, as you describe your self-care practice and how you need a little bit of this and a little bit of that each day, including quiet time, I can really relate to that as a chatty therapist. I definitely need some downtime and some quietude. It reminds me of the concept of the body budget that Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett shared on a previous episode. She's a neuroscientist and she describes the same biorhythms that you were talking about earlier of our self-care is intertwined and co-regulated by the people around us, our loved ones in our community. And we feel unsafe if we're in environments that are designed to burn out our body budget. Um, and 
that it's a personal practice of understanding what each one of us needs. And you're describing could be coffee, it could be quiet time, could be good nutrition. And ultimately it's a mindfulness practice um, or some, however you describe paying attention to what your body physically needs, including your emotional needs. She describes emotions as an abstraction, as a prediction of what your body budget is uh, telling you to do. And I think the notes that you share are such lovely extensions of that concept of, look, see, here's what they're trying to tell you, despite what our culture tells us at times. Well, before I, I maybe I um, asked too many questions all at once. I don't know if we answered this question, Allison. Who were you? Who do you imagine in your mind when you're writing these notes? Are you writing them to yourself? Are you writing them to a specific person? Does it change depending on the day? Who do you hold in your mind as you write down these thoughts about emotional awareness and relationship awareness? Hmm. Um, I feel like I just got the answer to that one today. Um, I think I'm writing them to that person who feels kind of invisible, um, has maybe never been seen or felt overlooked growing up or felt their needs were overlooked. So the thing that makes me the happiest is when I will hear from some, you know, just an ordinary person, like I am a really ordinary person and I love ordinary people. So when just a random person just says, um, this has helped me so much, you know, like a young man or an older woman, it can be anyone, any demographic, but there's something for me about the people who have seen, so have felt sort of maybe unseen or um, through their life. That just makes me so happy. That's probably the person I'm talking to, the person who's just wanted, you know, someone to slow down for a minute and recognize how they feel. Mm, that sounds like a lovely feeling of transcendence, feeling connected to uh, something bigger than yourself, whether that's a feeling or a shared experience, feeling seen in that way. Allison, thank you so much for sharing um, your experience and talking about what it's been like to share your experience on Instagram and now in this latest book. Um, listeners should check out the Instagram feed notes from your therapist to get a glimpse of the messages and the wise words that we're describing and they can check out your book. Is there anything else that you wanted to share before we go? I don't think so, Anna, but thank you so much for giving me a chance to talk about my excitement about Instagramming and creativity and people being in touch with their emotions and the feelings of people they love and care about. I really appreciate that. 
Thank you so much for joining us. I hope listeners will take a moment now and pause and think about how they can be creative and getting in touch with their emotions and expressing them. So think about what that personal practice would look like for you in your own life. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please head on over to wherever you listen to your local podcast and rate and review the show so that others have access to the Therapy for Real Life podcast. You can also share episodes with your friends to continue your self-care practice and accountability or scroll through any of the past episodes to learn more about self-care skills through the Therapy for Real Life podcast. Remember, this is not therapy. This is real life. Have a great day. Therapy for Real Life also offers workplace workshops to help your team buffer against the stresses of daily life. Therapy for Life is known for the Burnout Prevention Hackathon, which teaches your team self-care strategies that are backed by research to help you interrupt burnout and promote self-care. Now that work has moved primarily to virtual and work from home, Therapy for Real Life has adapted the Burnout Prevention Hackathon for the online community. Get in touch to discuss your interest in stress management, burnout prevention, relationship building, and other self-care workshops, and how to adapt these trainings for your team's needs. Mm -hmm.